1: And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the
0: show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible to make your smartphone smarter. Well, my next guest doesn't need much of an introduction. You know him as Steve Forbes. He's the chairman, CEO, and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media is an internationally respected authority in the worlds of economics, finance, and corporate leadership. With the economy at the forefront of conversation on a global level, Mr. Forbes has offered longstanding insights that capitalism, free markets, and a flat tax are essential to a healthy economy. It's a message Mr. Forbes has been delivering as editor of one of the world's most successful business magazines for decades, and he continues to be one of the most sought-after speakers and leaders on this and other economic issues leading these debates all around the world. Mr. Forbes, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast.
2: Good to be with you. Thank you.
0: Well, got you. such a thrill and an honor, and um, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Obviously, common sense leadership doesn't seem to be common practice these days. I see a lot of what you write about and what you've talked about for years kind of centers around that arena. You know, given your experience in both business and political leadership, what would you say that uh, some of the similarities and the differences between the two are?
2: Well, I think uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, leadership, the characteristics of leadership, effective leadership, are the same everywhere. But uh, as you know, uh, you have uh, two very different uh, uh, arenas when you uh, look at the public sector and when you look at the private sector. Uh, When you're in business, you uh, have to meet the needs and wants of uh, customers, attract customers. And uh, if you don't, uh, you are not going to uh, last very long. So uh, there's a sort of a fundamental uh, check on uh, the propensity of organizations to become big, uh, bloated, uh, forget what their original mission is. And uh, in the public sector, I think you have to keep in mind what Ronald Reagan said. He said there is a, the closest thing to immortality in this world is a government program or a government agency. And uh, they uh, get a constituency. And it's very hard to uh, uh, get the kind of feedback and uh, kind of uh, efficiencies and productivity and service uh, that you uh, see in the in the marketplace in the free marketplace. So it's not that uh, people in the free markets are uh, inherently more virtuous than those in government or vice versa. It's just you have two very different arenas, two very different uh, uh, environments, and uh, you see two very different results, and uh, that's why we see these scandals today uh, when you don't have the kind of market uh, feedback constant that you get in the private sector.
0: Do you think as a nation we've reached a turning point? I mean, I guess for me, I I watch what's going on. I get more frustrated because to me, obviously, it seems so commonsensical that um, free markets, capitalism, everything will turn all this around but it seems to be getting worse. Have we reached a turning point? Do you think it's starting to shift that people are understanding that uh, bureaucracy and big government is not the answer? I
2: think people, uh, most people understand that. And uh, part of the problem in the public sector is if you don't have uh, a party or candidates uh, pointing out a positive alternative, uh, it's very hard to uh, get a change. I think uh, you're going to see more and more grassroots activity in 2014 and 2016. And in terms of uh, uh, people understanding it, I think they do. And what we see happening, unfolding today, underscores it. And everyone has to deal with the IRS. There's no thing that you get in the mail that makes your heart sink faster than a notice from the IRS. You know it's not a Valentine or a birthday card. <laughs> and, uh so uh, uh, until you see what it actually is, uh, your, your, your heartbeat goes up. Your blood pressure goes up. So uh, And when you find out that there's no accountability for uh, these activities, uh, then uh, that, that uh, undermines uh, trust in uh, the public sector, which also then has a corrosive effect on the society as a whole. Social, social trust is undermined. So uh, I think uh, big changes are going to come, and ultimately the only way you deal with this is not a slew of new laws, which we'll get anyway, right. is uh, reduce the size of government, reduce its scope. And uh, that's why I've always been an advocate of a, a simplified, a radically simplified tax code, removes a huge source of corruption in this economy.
0: Well, I agree, but uh, and what struck me so too – I mean even last week when I was watching some of the hearings on the uh, IRS thing and what – was just so blatant was the lack of accepting accountability in fact it even said um in so uncertain terms like why I, how can i be responsible for uh someone in an office some some you know so far away i can't be responsible for all those people that i'm i'm in charge for and that just so struck me as like wow is that really is is it that pervasive throughout all of our bureaucracies that they don't don't understand what accountability is
2: well uh what what what, what it is is that uh uh when uh, when something has been done wrong, uh, suddenly everyone runs for cover, and uh, suddenly uh, nobody knows what anybody else did. It was uh, oh those crazy people in Cincinnati. Oh well, you have five other cities where this happened. Well, a bunch of other you know, it, it, it it it's a it's it's a rotten spectacle to uh, to to see this uh, finger pointing. And uh, I knew nothing, which underscores you know, we have a president who says he knows nothing about any of this on any part of the uh, government, and yet he wants to make government bigger. So if you can't uh, get your arms around with what you have, why do you want more? And here we are, the government ready to put its arms around in a very uh, grossly inefficient and destructive way on the biggest uh, part of our economy, health care.
0: Why do you think so many people seemed um if you look at the polls in, in the last election w- why so many people failed to show up to the election that that what concerned me probably the most because you know I see a lot of people I see a lot of people passionate about what what um the free markets capitalism again some of the the solutions to this big government but then I see a lot of people that are disengaged and a lot of people that just don't even care do you see that on your end i mean what do you think
2: well I think uh uh to be blunt about it, the Republican candidate, even though I thought he was a good man uh, in terms of achievement and uh, his his character, uh, ran a very poor campaign. And uh, when Ronald Reagan ran, you knew right from the get-go that this was a positive uh, approach. He had uh, specific things he put out there. And uh, with uh, the Republican candidate, you just look at the convention. When he made his acceptance speech, Uh, Governor Romney didn't come to his five points until virtually uh, at the end of the speech. It was almost a footnote. And uh, so people never warmed up to him. And a lot of people either didn't vote or ended up reluctantly voting for the president, who uh, would not have done so, would have voted or would have voted for uh, the GOP if they could have uh, felt okay it may not be perfect. None of us are, but uh, this this sounds pretty good. I'm I'm, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to take a chance on it.
0: Right. You know, one thing I'm curious you know curious about from you, you, especially since you've you ran for president twice. You know, you're running a business. What was it like taking over the helm of a business from an icon, especially when it was your dad? I mean, you look at um, you know, I always wonder what it's like with with you know Tim Cook succeeding, <laughs> succeeding Steve Jobs. Um, given your experience, what advice or, – or tell me, give me a little behind the scenes what it was like to take over from, from your father who you know, brought the Forbes to such a great level.
2: Well, one of the things, thankfully, he did when bringing up my brothers and my sister was uh, make it very clear that uh, everyone has a different personality. As he told me, uh, he, my father said, I have my own way of doing things. You'll learn to do it your own way. And so uh, there was never really the pressure to feel uh, that I had to ride motorcycles. Here I am in my 60s, and I still feel I'm too young to ride motorcycles <laughs> 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 and, uh, and ballooning. I mean, uh, with, he did love to do hot air ballooning. Uh, my kids like to tease me that I save my hot air for politics. And uh, so, uh, but, uh, but the key is to uh, have a firm direction and to uh, do things in the way that work for you. And, uh, you know, as Abraham Lincoln put it in a very, very different context, uh, he said uh, it doesn't matter whether you get a lot of praise or condemnation during this conflict. If it works out, uh, no one's going to remember all the noise around it. And if it doesn't, they're not going to remember all the praise you got when you went to the precipice. Right. So uh, you just remind yourself, what is your mission? What are you trying to do? You uh, learn to take feedback. You learn to delegate. You learn to try to try to inspire uh, uh, trust, a uh, shared vision, and then uh, you take it from there. And everyone has a different way of doing things. So uh, you try to be a clone. Uh, you're 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 going to uh, quickly go to the garbage heap. Yeah. It just doesn't work.
0: Yeah. What is the, what was the um, what's kind of the what is the mission of Forbes Media? Where do you want to take it? What is what are you trying to accomplish?
2: Well, one of the things uh, the late great guru, Peter Drucker, who lived to his 90s, he died several years ago, pointed out that uh, businesses might learn from uh, the nonprofit sector is uh, what is your purpose? What are you in business for? What is your mission? And if you uh, ask yourself what what it is you are trying to do, what service or products are you trying to provide and for whom, then uh, you don't get quite as caught up when the way of doing it changes. Now, in my world, the media world, uh, the the world's been shattered. It just doesn't exist the way it used to. And uh, we've been uh, trying to respond to it and, uh, in fact, become a leader in the new, evolving, fluid world. And uh, I think we remind ourselves from the very first issue of uh, Forbes, founded by my grandfather in 1917, when he said that the purpose of business is to produce happiness, not to pile up money. Mm. And uh, we, uh, we we believe firmly in entrepreneurial capitalism as a means of enabling people, as Lincoln put it, to improve your lot in life, uh, as a means of uh, taking human energies and uh, applying them in a constructive way. And uh, that, uh, that's something we uh, keep, keep our eye on, and that's why I think that uh, you know, a lot of people are look at business and think they're just a bunch of crooks and miscreants that if you don't sit on them, they're just going to blow the world up. Uh, we, we see it quite differently. We see it as something very positive. You get bad actors, uh, which you do any, anywhere. You know, if you have election fraud, you don't get rid of democracy. You deal with the problem. Right. And, uh, and uh, that's why uh, I think uh, around the world, uh, the Forbes name – uh, uh as a uh, evokes uh, a feeling and a positive attitude that uh others in uh, the business media do not because they sense that we understand their purpose in life their mission and uh i think that uh, so the what you might call the entrepreneurial class around the world uh they 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 see us as uh their friend
0: yeah <clears throat> Where do you think the publishing industry is going to be in five years, if you could look ahead?
2: Uh, well, I think you have to uh, <clears throat> look at it as the uh, media business. Yeah. When you say publishing, that sounds like print. Right. There'll be a role for print, but more and more it is online, especially as technology makes it uh, more appealing to the eye. And uh, there again, uh, what the web has done, if you aren't careful, it will commoditize you. Yeah. And so you have to be very careful about preserving what makes you distinct. And, uh, again, we remind ourselves of what our mission is. Now, in terms of content creation, we'll just give you an example. Uh, in the days of print, we'd print in the magazine 1,200 to 1,400 articles a year. We still do that today. But on the web, we have now contracts with over 1,000 contributors, and uh, we now do uh uh... hundred and twenty five thousand uh... submissions a year wow. uh... and uh... very different uh... world and uh... that is why uh, uh, you, you cannot uh, bring a, a mentality of the old to the new this is a whole new way of doing things and we're learning others are learning and you see the same thing on the marketing side so uh... As the old cliche goes, you can eat well or sleep well, but you can't do both.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, I, think, I always wonder, I'm curious what your thoughts on this, too. If I look around the traditional media spectrum, if you look at the, the, the cable and the satellite TV, you look at the radio shows, and, and a lot of things are coming around, you know, podcasting's, you know, getting big, and it, it, it's it's kind of a noisy world. It's kind of hard to get noticed. Do you think there's... Um, A market, particularly in the traditional mediums um, like uh, television, for example, that um, a show, a channel or an outlet that focuses almost entirely on what you're talking about, pretty much what you talk about in Freedom Manifesto is like educating, uh, highlighting um, entrepreneurship, capitalism, free markets I always thought there would be a huge market for that, or it would go over well. I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? I don't see anything like that really out there. I mean, you see different, you know, specific shows maybe, but a whole network that's just garnered towards um, highlighting the exceptionalism of America, capitalism, and entrepreneurship.
2: Well, uh, what uh, what uh, I think uh, uh, TV's challenge is is that. Uh, Unless it's a sporting event uh people want to watch things on their own uh, on their own time mm-hmm. and uh that is that is that is why unless it's a sporting event where you don't want to see a, 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 a you know a baseball game that was played in the afternoon you don't want to watch it in the evening <laughs> you right. may want to see the highlights but you're not going to sit three hours and watch a slow moving game right. so uh so uh uh to have, uh, something devoted to a topic is really probably something that works with, uh, more with, uh, uh, cable because you, you, you don't need, you don't need in, uh, cable the kind of audiences you need in, uh, in, the network TV and even more online. Having a website, I mean, there are now a zillion websites, uh, devoted to, uh, everything under the sun right. and under the moon. <laughs> and, right. uh And 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 then so you can uh, get that kind of specialization. And uh, people are not going to sit and watch something because there's nothing else to watch. And it's hard to believe. But a few decades ago, many parts of the country could get only one or two or three TV stations. I know. And uh, now we've got a uh, whole huge choice. So you've got to design things to that have appeal that you hope go viral, that can attract a following. But everyone is now in the content creation business. Everyone now is in the publishing business, and uh, in terms of marketing, everyone's uh, becoming a marketer. That's that's the world we live in, yep. and uh, trying to make your way through it in a way that uh, becomes commercially feasible—that is the challenge.
0: You know, leading in disruptive times and crises—you uh, know—that's where leaders are made or broken, and they can be very exciting for sure. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you. What is it like leading? How do you respond to crises, disruptive times? Are they challenging? Are they exciting? Tell me a little bit about your style.
2: Yeah, well, exciting is one way to do it. <laughs> uh, not in the stomach might be a little more accurate. Yeah, it it it, it is a world where uh, nothing stays the same. Uh, we went 2000 to 2002. Our website hemorrhaged. And uh, everyone told us shut it down. You know, information sites don't work. Hard to believe today. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, from about 2002 to 2006, 2007, it boomed. And then came the pressure on pricing of uh, advertising online. And we had a whole new world. And uh, uh, simply, uh, and we we learned early on, thankfully, that you have to go way beyond the content of your publication online. Uh, no, 99% of our content now is uh, not found in the magazine. The, the online content, <clears throat> and that's uh, that. That that that's the world we live in. So uh, uh, you're continuously looking out there. What is happening? How do you uh, deal with it? And uh, it's easy to say, but extremely hard to do. If you are starting over, how would you do it? And the process of revamping a company that has been accustomed to doing things really in the same way that have been done for 150 years is profoundly disruptive, uh, and, uh, hurtful, uh, cause a lot of people can't uh, make the change. It's not a pleasant thing to go through, Yeah, but if you don't, you uh, cease to exist.
0: You recently wrote about a month ago and I, I, I... I was looking for the article where you wrote that when when Margaret Thatcher died, we need more leaders like her. I couldn't agree with you more. Tell me, in your opinion, what makes her so unique, what makes her so special?
2: Well, she had a a real vision, and uh, she saw her purpose in public life. Yes, she wanted to move up and get promoted and all that, but it was a purpose. It wasn't uh, to fill out a resume. It was to get some big things done. And what was remarkable about her was she was totally unaccepting of the prevailing consensus about Britain and its role in the world, about how an economy operates in in the modern world. Uh, She had a counter vision, uh, but she combined that with uh, the ability to know how to get things done in the political world. It's very rare. Reagan was another one like her in the sense of being both a movement leader and an effective political leader uh in the political world as in even more than in the other parts of the world, nothing goes in a straight line, and oftentimes you have to have a sense of timing that you just can't do what you think needs to be done you got to lay the groundwork for it. you have to wait till circumstances come your way and that takes a high skill. she had it, and uh when she took office, Britain was the laughing stock of Europe in terms of its economy for twenty uh for uh, 25 years, 30 years, was seen as the sick man of Europe, always lagging, always uh, doing poorly. And uh, within a decade of her coming to power, uh, Britain was the leading large economy in Europe. Remarkable transformation.
0: You know, it, one of my favorite books that you wrote was Power, Ambition, Glory, uh, where you look at the parallels between the ancient times and, and the leadership crisis that we face today. You written it a couple of years ago, but uh, is anything, anything that you would add to that book? I mean, one of my, it's, it's a great book. I'm a big fan of history and learning from it. And I guess the, one of the big things I got from it is that, that – um, and I get nervous when I think about the future. But I do believe in my heart that there's a bedrock, a foundation uh, of this country that we can fall back on that, that we will sustain, it, sustain itself and be successful in the long run. And I got that. I think I,
2: I think that's right. And uh, the key for a country, and we've been uniquely able to do it, is to continuously renew itself. Every company, every entity, every country hits the wall from time to time for whatever reason. And the question is, how do you uh, uh, respond to it, and uh, can you ultimately get back on a positive track again? And uh, we've done it. Uh, we've been through some howling crises, yes, and I think and I'm um, hopeful that uh, we're doing the same thing today, setting up uh, fundamentals in place that uh, can turn the country around. It's essential, because if America does not do well, the world becomes a very troubled place. It does. Uh, some people may not like the idea that we are a special role in this world, but we do. And uh, if we don't do well, the world doesn't do well.
0: Yep, agreed. You know, Bob Dole said something the other day, and they interviewed him, and I, I disagreed with what he said, but he made the comment that, that uh, Ronald, Ronald Reagan were running for president today. He couldn't get elected today. I didn't necessarily agree with that. What do you think about that?
2: Well, he, he assumes that uh, the specifics of Ronald Reagan in 1976 and 1980 would be the same today. No, times and circumstances have changed. Uh, Reagan's principles wouldn't have changed. But he would know how to uh, uh, put them forth in a very different environment. And that's a skill leader, Uh, knowing what you're, in effect, uh, like an actor, what your audience is and uh, how how you move that audience. And uh, it wasn't just that he was a glad hand or anything like that. He had core principles. And uh, he also had the skill to uh, uh, persuade people, uh, have people understand them. So I think he would do very nicely today. Uh, I, if he had uh, been our candidate, uh, last year, he would have won in a landslide.
0: Yeah. If you were president today, what would you do in these turbulent times?
2: Uh, well, I think, uh, it's clear what has to be done. At least I think it is. Uh, we have to have a stable dollar again, ultimately linked to gold. We did it for 180 years of our existence. It works. Uh, we need a simplified tax code. I like the flat tax, uh, that would sharply reduce the IRS. It would allow people to uh, do uh, the tax return with a few keystrokes or on a piece of paper or postcard. We, uh, the IRS tells us we spend over 6 billion hours a year filling out tax forms. For what purpose? A uh, the, 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 the low tax rate with exemption for adults and for kids uh you would have you'd see this country take off like a rocket ship with a sound money and a simplified tax code and by the way, a simplified tax code would remove a huge drain on our civil life. I mean it brings out the worst in us you know is my uh bedroom at home could I do work there? Can I deduct part of that as a home office and you know all all kinds of crazy things and that uh, we see it brings out the worst in the federal government because they use it as an instrument of oppression against opponents. So, uh, an the lobbying in Washington revolves around the code. So, uh, get rid of that, and uh, it'll have a great purifying effect. Uh, I think we need to repeal Obamacare and go to a more patient-oriented system. So, uh, and in terms of Social Security, uh, I believe in putting in a new system for younger people where they own their, they have their own personal accounts. So, the money going to the feds, it would go into their own account. Uh, there would be Good rules about diversification and the like you know you're not going to be able to uh, uh, buy, uh, horse races, you know, buy horse races buy horse race horses in uh, Thailand or something like that <laughs> it's going to be pretty vanilla choices right. but this way you you own it, and people would see it at a young age it's their labor that is creating this account it's not a gift from politicians they are creating it. I think it would have a great great positive impact on our National mindset among younger people.
0: As we get near the end of the interview here, what are some of the I always like to ask, um, especially for, for listeners out there who are maybe up and coming leaders, young leaders particularly. What best advice would you have for them uh, navigating through the corporate and both uh, the social in the social side of the world too?
2: Well, uh, one of the things to realize is you are not born fully formed. You will learn and. Unfortunately, uh, the best teacher is setbacks or mistakes. Mm. And uh, the classic example, now classic, even though it's f- recent, is Steve Jobs. He had a very prickly personality. Yep. And he got fired from the company he co-founded. They booted him out because he was impossible to work with. Uh, he went through 12 uh, turbulent, painful years. And when he came back to Apple, even though he still had the you know, prickly personality. He had learned how to attract talent and keep the talent. How to uh, get things done instead of being a dis- constant disruptor. Uh, which and he became one of the great leaders in in, in history. But it was a, it was not a smooth or pain free process. Right. As uh, all of us have to realize, uh, we learn, and we have we have to have a sense of purpose. But we are going to learn, and uh, life is always going to throw curveballs. But if you don't let it uh, throw you off course too much uh, and realize that you're going to have to draw on things inside of you, there's not going to be a playbook. It's not painting by the numbers. Uh, that's that's what it takes to become an effective leader, and there are going to be times when people are going to think you're uh, not doing so well. That's just part of the, uh, part of the program.
0: Yep. It's definitely a journey. It's never a, that's great advice. Well, you're easy to find on the web, but uh, I always ask my guests too, where can they find you? Is there anything specific that, um, you know, obviously you've got Forbes.com, but is anything else specific you'd like we, to do? To...
2: We've got uh, Forbes.com. Also have a uh, Facebook uh, page, fan page, and uh, uh, Twitter, uh, CEO Steve Forbes, uh, Steve Forbes CEO. And uh, so, uh, there are uh,
0: various ways uh, we, we we can connect. Well, gosh, I t- appreciate so much you taking the time. Uh, you've given me some great insight, and um, hopefully so the listeners grab some great nuggets from you. I think, uh, again, I didn't highlight, but uh, some of the great books out there, Freedom Manifesto, which I just got through last week, great book, Power, Ambition, Glory, one of my favorite books if you're a big history fan, um, talks about uh, the the stunning parallels that we can learn from ancient history and history. And to now, of course, the flat tax revolution, um, there's one other book out there. Steve, what, uh, which one am I missing? Oh, How Capitalism uh, the, the, Can the Save Us. The latest
2: me. one, How Capitalism Will Save Us, and yep. then uh, one that came out uh, uh, late last year is called Freedom Manifesto. Yep.
0: Freedom Manifesto.
2: Why, why free markets are moral and big government isn't. I want to emphasize that word big. We all need government, but free markets are moral, big government isn't. That's
0: right. Did I read your work on a new book too? Did I read the new one's coming out about money?
2: Uh, one, uh, one uh, just uh, the embryonic stages of a book on money. Uh, it, it's the most, especially on the part of policymakers, the most misunderstood or ununderstood subject in the world. A lot of mischief comes from it, and this will be a very simple way of understanding it. Everyone will understand it, and hopefully, someday, even economists and politicos will.
0: Uh, I can only hope. <laughs> Well, we need more people like you in uh, setting the policy out there, so uh, I'm a big fan and, and uh, a big evangelist for your work, so thank you for taking the time to come on the show.
2: Well, thank you, and uh, good, good luck to you.
0: Thank you. Stay on the phone uh, just for a little bit while I stop the recording, and then we'll, we'll
1: clean up some logistic things, but again, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.